0: Stanton here with ASAP Frontline, joined today by Dr. James Augustine and um, talking about here at uh, Corporate Council here at ASAP in Dallas, Texas, and um, some information on the current trends in emergency medicine, the emergency department. Uh, Over the last uh, 25 years or so has seen about a two-thirds, 60-65% growth uh, in volume. More and more care is being turned over to the emergency department um, with uh, an estimated 150 or so million volume per year. So uh, let's dive into that. Where are we with the trends and uh, in terms of what we're seeing in the emergency department and the role we're playing in the system?
1: This is Jim Augustine. Thanks, Ryan, for having me today. Um, We are a busy part of the American health system and that business keeps growing. And uh, that's a tribute to the men and women uh, who provide service in the emergency department of the emergency physicians, the nurse and AP, and PA practitioners who we work with, and then the entire emergency department team, including the nurses and techs and other people, who help us get through the humanity every day and uh, deliver great quality care.
0: So, you, the one of the first things you talked about was this graph demonstrating that volume trend in emergency medicine. Um, what can we take? from that and, and where, where does it tell us we're going? Yes,
1: each year there are really three organizations that count the number of patients who arrive in emergency departments. Uh, the American Hospital Association, um, a group called EMNET, uh, which tracks volume uh, through a, uh, a program which surveys emergency departments. And then very importantly and consistently the CDC through the National Center for Health Statistics. Uh, they do a survey called the National Hospital Ambulatory Medical Care Survey, which since 1992 has sampled emergency departments across the country, looking at who comes to visit, uh, what do we do for them, where do they go, essentially, um, and that's been our consistent uh, delivery of data since 1992. When you dig back a little further, starting in World War II, um, we we have had a almost linear growth across time two to two and a half percent growth per year in emergency department visits in this country culminating in 2016 the latest year of data uh, about 145 million uh, ed visitors and uh, and that means in 2018 2019 we're at 150 million according to the cdc count just so everybody knows the EMNet and the uh, and the american hospital association have already pushed us over 150 million in 2016.
0: Where do we see that uh, that trend and what does it mean for us? I mean is I assume um, other areas of medicine are they seeing similar growth or is this just something where more and more is being pushed towards America's emergency departments in terms of that uh, primary source of acute care management?
1: So let's call this a success story uh, in American healthcare, care uh, and the success story is we are keeping people alive. We are preventing premature death. Uh, that counts across all areas, but in particular, credit goes to public health and uh, the American emergency system, which recognized 50 years ago uh, that people were dying inappropriately of burns, of trauma, of cardiac arrest, of other preventable sources of death, and have worked collaboratively with all of the other facets of healthcare. Uh, to reduce the impact of premature death. So we have more older people, and more older people means more health care. Very frankly, it means we have to spend more dollars on health care, but I think any of us individually who have seen our parents and our grandparents and our aunts and uncles grow older and lead productive lives and contribute to society, we would say that's a tremendous success story, and thanks to all who have contributed to that over the last 50 years.
0: The challenge challenge being now is we're already dealing with uh, significant Uh, Growing pains across the country with boarding, um, and the back end uh, challenges, and even that uh, the front end, more more kind of the front end challenges of where we where people end up if once we disposition them, discharge them uh, back home, and so expectations of a two to two and a half percent growth every single year suggests that we're going to see about three to three and a half million, or three to four million uh, more patients per year. Um, And that sounds like it's going to be a significant challenge with already um, challenges in terms of of getting patients out of the emergency department to where they need to be. Um, And we've just had some articles came out. um, We're recording here in in July, and we just had an article come out yesterday talking about, you know, boarding. And we've got a a facility uh, down the street that's got 30,000 hours of boarding per month. And um, this seems like something that... Um, looking forward that expectation um, that the numbers aren't going to go down. The expectation is that we're going to consistently trend up and figuring out ways to manage that uh, the back-end process and where we're going to put these patients as we still see overall contraction of the the healthcare system as smaller hospitals are closing and uh, more and more is being placed on the plates of these uh, larger community referral tertiary care centers.
1: All right, uh, Ryan, let's let's parse that issue a little bit. You you really okay. have have put a big global picture together that really are all emergency leaders, all emergency physicians need to think through. So, uh at the beginning is is the demand for services. So, uh we have a population uh, that for whatever reason um, has has let some of the primary care based uh healthcare system um, uh move away. <laughs> Sunset, you know, some mm-hmm. term like that. Uh, they prefer episodic care. Um, many people stay healthy for a long period of time; don't need health care. Um, they get older, and and almost by definition, older people use more health care services. Once you pass your pediatric years, and uh, and and again, credit to public health pediatrics who have immunized children, who take care of a lot of preventive needs and lead us to a healthier population growing into their teens and 20s. Those people then typically only want health (laughs) care when they absolutely need it, Uh, and then they go into what we will have to refer to in coming years as the unscheduled care system. That unscheduled care can be care at home, care over their computers, um, care over the iTriage app on their phone, Um, they will go to urgent care clinics uh, or other retail clinics. Uh, But in many cases, they are either referred to or prefer the quality and availability of services of the emergency department.
0: Well, that's been a big thing that we've seen is, um, you know, the the conversations around um, access with urgent treatments and walk-in clinics and retail clinics and things like that of, you know, this seems like something that would obviously pull volume from the emergency department and it's consistently continued to grow at the same pace that it has for uh, decades prior and um, when I my response is often yes it may pull some of the l- lower acuity that wasn't planned to come in but just as much stuff is then referred from there to us mm-hmm. that probably would not have been weren't thinking about coming to us and then go there with their chest pain or their belly pain or whatever it may be then are referred back to the emergency department so it's actually a two-way street of of pulling some volume but then pushing uh, just as much right back uh, right back at us I mean when you have here a a slide that talks about the volumes of, of by September of 2026 and I'll let you actually go through some of these numbers the expectations you know if you're out there coming in emergency medicine what can we expect to see uh, within the next seven years of emergency care
1: yes uh, so thinking about this for emergency departments uh, if we if we start counting about today in 2019 by the time we get to 2026 American emergency departments will have seen a billion patients. Of that, uh, reliably over the years, about 16 to 17 percent are admitted to the hospital. That gets to the boarding issue. Uh, But imagine by then 160 to 170 million patients will have been processed through EDs to the inpatient environment. Mm -hmm. That will include essentially all traumas, all burns, all cardiac arrests, all very sick STEMIs and pneumonias and strokes all the new flus that will come up between now and then. Um, So we have a a very big priority in being prepared for uh, the the biggest medical emergencies that the community faces. Uh, We also deal a lot with the EMS system, and by then 160 to 170 million EMS transports will have occurred to American emergency departments. So those are big numbers. And one of our opportunities really, as, as you have pointed out, is to say, We're seeing more patients, they're sicker, there's more places for them to go with low acuity stuff. Uh, By region, kind of people have a predilection to use urgent cares or not. As I have worked and looked around the country, you see some communities that have long established high quality urgent care systems, and people like to go there, and they'll go there with higher acuity needs Mm -hmm. and then need to be transferred. In other communities, it seems that uh, years ago, um, the urgent care system couldn't flourish. It, it wasn't fertile ground. They weren't paid by the payers, um, and, and therefore they are a lower impact into unscheduled care. I worked in one of those cities, um, Washington, D.C., uh, where there really was no urgent care at all, and everybody went to the emergency department for the least to the biggest emergencies. That, those EDs. Uh, Then had to deal with large fluxes of patients. They had to set up very efficient fast track areas uh, to deal with low acuity stuff. I worked in another city, Tulsa, Oklahoma, very extensive urgent care network. Only the sickest came in the ED. Our adult side emergency department there would admit 50% of patients seen in the emergency department, not enough volume for a fast track. Consistently 10, 12, 15 people a day coming from urgent care centers uh, who had presented there. So community by community, there's a little difference. Uh, we we have more options going up as part of national vendors, uh, retail clinics that offer low ca- low acuity care. But EDs need to prepare for this ongoing two to two and a half percent volume increase. Sicker patients, uh, and again, this this means less injured patients. Uh, today it's it's July, uh, but the ED at where I am is is not uh, full of charts that say. Hurt this, lacerated that, sprained something else. Uh, I, I assume it's about the same in your ED, Ryan. This morning, uh, they're looking at chest pain, short of breath, abdominal pain, headache, weak and dizzy, repeat the sequence. Maybe once a day, uh, you know, an ankle injury, a laceration comes in. That, that's the nature of our practice. A medical presentation of an older patient with multiple systems of disease requires longer care. And one of the pieces of our research says uh, the the ED that sees forty thousand patients a year, the median length of stay is three hours. It's been three hours for about the last fifteen years, mm-hmm. and and three hour workups for good quality dispositions on patients. Uh, and and then we want to talk about boarding because that's a significant issue, but. That's what we should plan for. Our administration should plan for. The board of the hospital should plan for. We should have bed plans available that allow us to have, act, to have rooms to take care of those people, not care in the hallway, not care in the waiting room, not uh, people who the intake is, is, uh, is delayed by boarded patients on the back end. That's what we need to plan for in emergency medicine. Our brethren in OBGYN um, have not allowed... Um, Patients to receive care in labor and delivery units in the hallway, we should feel the same in the emergency department.
0: Data driving the emergency department, we've had a discussion. In fact, we talked to Dr. Rogers uh, a number of weeks ago uh, talking about um, the data and some of the things, and, and his specific side of it was talking about metrics and, and things like that, and there's, there's so much in an attempt to quantify uh, care quality, uh, timing and quality so how do we parse out the truly beneficial data that's going to help us as physicians and help our patients versus those that are just an attempt to um, help somebody who's not medical understand, uh, try to understand something that isn't actually a number? Very good.
1: So there, there's a couple things. I, I always want to look at things in the eyes of our patients. They come to the emergency department seeking some, an answer for something. Mm-hmm. Um, again. Much more typical, they come with a medical presentation. Um, increasingly we have mental health patients, another another thing for us to talk through. Uh, they come with a medical presentation and they want an answer or they've been referred there by their physician or, or PA or nurse practitioner uh, specifically because they seem too sick to be seen in the office. Uh, those people arrive and they want to be seen uh, by a high-level clinician. Uh, it is our medical screening exam responsibility. Uh, to have them evaluated as quickly as possible, and we as clinicians know that if the patient gets plugged into the diagnostic and treatment needs uh, that will get them through the system most quickly and allow us to make a quality disposition, starting that process early is much better than starting that process late. Uh, Those patients don't ripen in a waiting room, Uh, and so in many cases the time from door uh, until they see a clinician and begin uh, to be plugged into their workup is a very important time. So that's a, that's a quality metric. Number two, the time from the time they hit the door until we make a disposition decision as the lead clinician, and typically that's an emergency physician in most in most emergency departments in this country. Uh, that time till we decide whether they need to be admitted, transferred, uh, or can be uh, allowed to go back home. Uh, to their home setting is a really important number. Oftentimes in between there is a number of diagnostic tests, um, some uh, treatment uh, that we begin uh, to initiate, and what's really important again is that treatment of some type begin early. Uh, That leads us to again where the physicians and APPs uh, see the patient, not just order diagnostic tests because that doesn't move the patient more quickly through the system, but actually gets them into a treatment plan. We can see how the treatment works to alleviate whatever acute symptoms they came in with. And then we're at quality disposition time. And then the quality disposition is a good transition of care to outpatient, good transition of care to another care site if they need to be transferred or admitted. And um, and then we we spend a lot of our time as emergency leaders working with upstairs uh, to see how we can make timely dispositions upstairs where people get plugged into the next pathway that will get them to discharge back home.
0: The biggest thing I, I, I hear you talking about is, is something that I see starting to happen, and it, it's really more impacted at this point thus far it has been breaking down that silo between the emergency department and EMS, kind of bringing that care together into one continuum for the patient. But medicine has always been terrible at trying to, it's siloing itself, forgetting that the patient is not is the patient management or the, or the care a patient receives is not a episodic type of management. It's actually a continuum of moving through the process of the acute evaluation, diagnostics, uh, diagnosis, disposition, management. You know, it's, it's very much a fluid situation. And we'll just use, um, let's just use sepsis. Since, uh, we're, since our systems are trying to put everybody into that, including the ankle pain, who gets short of breath walking, trying to walk from the parking lot um, <laughs> into a you know one silo. But you know, talking about uh, management of sepsis is initiation, early recognition initiation of management in the emergency department that then transitions to that continuation of management and further evaluation in the inpatient setting, is how do we further tear down, those silos, understanding that the patient experience is not an episode. The patient experience is something more linear in many of the cases, and we actually talked about it yesterday in a podcast, um, you know, for me personally, timeline, yesterday, um, talking about the fact that um, the patients, many of the patients we see that are high utilizers or frequent utilizers are because of a failure, because of that segmentation of the healthcare system where something falls through the crack because there is not a continuum and an organization of that care and the whole idea of the Washington Bay system that has the uh, case managers or the uh, uh, social workers within the emergency department to help work through those plans where and that's I, I kind of and correct me if I'm wrong but I kind of feel like that's what you're talking about is those those next steps is figuring out how to um, work through and smooth out those processes on the front end and back end that aren't just what we already do, but how do we manage the patient in, in more of a global uh, standpoint?
1: All right. So if if we could crudely uh, break the emergency department population into a couple groups. One mm-hmm. is people who have no ongoing really tremendous um, health burden um, and, and a chronic disease that leads them to frequent interactions with the health system. You know, our job is is to just take those patients and tell them are they sick or not sick, and then if possible send them back home. Uh, those are people, again, many who don't have a, a good association with primary care, occasionally they do, uh, but they have an episodic need and we take care of that. There's a group of patients who have ongoing chronic health needs, and uh, they're they're disproportionate users of the emergency department mm-hmm. in the health system, um, they oftentimes have a complex set of their own uh, health pathway that they, they need to navigate. Um, you know, I've, I've had family members in that, and if, if you're not healthcare knowledgeable, it's very difficult, and a frequent line used in the care of that patient is, well, you're too sick to be seen here, you need to go to the emergency department, and the only place care gets coordinated uh, for those people is the emergency department, um, and so we have a very important role in that we are typically the only people who examine the patient from head to toe at one point in their evaluation and and then we say we we find several things you've had an exacerbation of your acute disease it's been worsened by something else that has happened to you and and now we need multiple things to plug you into and we need someone to coordinate that so that gets to the case managers social workers etc uh that are very very important for healthcare navigation for some of these people Third, we have the mental health patient population, and they're more frequent users than they used to be. And mm-hmm. The breakdown of community mental health systems has unloaded those people. Typically the, the, those patients need very long periods of acute care um, that begins oftentimes in the emergency department to rule out a medical cause, um, and then very, very complicated work in the community to find out what the right disposition is for the safe management of those people. Getting back to, to your question. Uh, Our job is to identify what are acute medical needs for any of those groups of patients, uh, address those medical needs, uh, plug them into the appropriate resources they need, and sometimes if they're a complex medical, uh, then we start with our hospitalist or other admission brethren. Uh, We begin to plug in the specialists and the pharmacist and the other people that will be needed to manage that patient through an acute exacerbation of their disease. That starts typically in the emergency department. Uh, in some cases, that means they have gone around the smaller, more rural hospitals to go to the tertiary care facility, so those, those places have to be much more adept at dealing with those people. Um, and oftentimes, they, they get their acute treatment started in the ED, the appropriate diagnostics and treatment, uh, but then they get plugged into a program of care upstairs, uh, upstairs that allow them to move most quickly through the acute system. And of course for us in the ED, it's really important that open beds stay open upstairs so that we can get the next admitted patient ready to go up there. Um, and so being an efficient part of the hospital team, getting our diagnostics and treatment done in the emergency department, prepping that patient for safe disposition upstairs really important and, and also requires the ED physician leader and the ED nurse leader to be working with upstairs teams about efficient movement of admitted patients.
0: We're finding that our role is going to grow further and further in terms of that more complex, you know, addressing the acute care need or acute exacerbation or the acute episode, but then also tying that into the chronic uh, ongoing medical conditions and how we're going to organize those and how we're going to get a plan um, for those. And that's really one thing you see is when that plan falls apart. Um, And you mentioned uh, with the family, the navigation of the actual system itself is incredibly complex. And if you've been even as a healthcare professional, if you've been involved uh, on the patient side, you understand how difficult, challenging, uh, and uh, e- and even confusing it is. Even with the training and knowledge uh, to make the system work, and understanding how the billing works, and understanding how the appointments and the follow up, and you know the challenges of even just navigating a, a healthcare campus, if it's a larger one, especially you know folks that are being referred to a larger tertiary care referral center, and understanding how challenging that can be in itself. Um, you know, the system can be very difficult, and it's those failures that will lead to exacerbations or failures of management, which end up landing with us in the emergency department. So the question is whether we continue to just apply the uh, acute care management and say good luck with the surprise when they end up back at our front door here in a few days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever it may be, versus actually taking that next step of organization and helping um, helping helping an actual beyond the walls and doors of the emergency department in terms of that care continuum, working with primary care, but also working with other stakeholders and resources in order to make sure that that patient succeeds with that management that we initiate within that department.
1: Yes. Ryan, uh, and and imagine for our poor patients, uh, since I worked over the July 4th holiday, which was essentially a week of interruption in the healthcare system, Mm -hmm. since we had a a midweek holiday, um, and the emergency department is, um, is the site of care for many people because the offices are closed, the services are not available. One of the pieces of planning within the health system that needs to occur is a seven-day course of operations for hospitals. Not we're off on the weekends and the holidays and the evenings, but 24-hour availability of services, 24-hour re- availability of case management and ultrasound for DVT and the other things that sometimes force us to admit patients for care and they sit for a while waiting for the services to come available. Uh, We're going to have to be much better at planning the 24-365 operation of the rest of the hospital, not just the lights are on in the emergency department. Uh, And uh, the availability of services so that the patient who uh, needs to be plugged in to something on an outpatient basis. We can reliably do that plug-in, regardless of the day of the week, regardless mm-hmm. of whether it's a holiday or not. Um, and that patient doesn't have to be admitted uh, for for short-term, uh, you know, sitting around waiting for those services to open back up. So that that's one important part of our planning and one kind of frustrating part for emergency physicians to have to deal with is moving around all the other obstacles uh, when other parts of the health system are closed down when we really need them to be open as much as we are, or nearly as much as we
0: are. Right. We just experienced that with July 4th. Um, 4th was a wonderful day in the emergency department, which we expected, um, which the, the pace was a lot slower. And the next day, Friday, was a train wreck. Not only had was there folks with their acute conditions, but those that had waited to see their primary care physician or that service that they needed come to find out that they had taken the week off or the end of the week off and weren't going to be available Um, or something else that fell through the cracks. And so we went from, uh, we typically, we average about 120 patients per day in my department, 120, 130. And um, we had 100 on July 4th and 169 on um, July 5th. And uh, just those those sheer tides of, of patients coming and going, I mean, it makes it so hard to plan. But at the same time, so much of that is how the healthcare system in the United States with an expectation from patients uh, 24-7, 365 access is still basically a banker's hours process in many, in many ways, Monday through Friday with significant gaps. And I think anybody out there listening who uh, works in the emergency department over the Christmas holidays understands what happens when things are closed for a week or week and a half uh, around a particular holiday and, and what that means for us in the emergency department, how now we become the follow-up option uh, for people who are looking for clinic access, and um, you know those things we have to do moving forward. Understanding that our role is going to continue to grow, and our role in terms of navigating the front end process, both of us being EMS uh, EMS physicians as well, and then the back end process in terms of care management, planning, um, and follow up is going to fall on on us as well, and, and making those processes happen. Um, within our departments and within within our systems is going to be a uh, is going to be key for the success of our patient and success of our system, making it as efficient as it can be in a system that is terribly complicated and hard to be efficient by any stretch of the imagination. Any closing or final thoughts as we wrap up.
1: Yeah, I, I, I want to talk about the admission patient for a minute. Um, yeah. You know we're responsible for seventy percent of patients who arrive in inpatient beds in the United States. A very important number, especially if you're in a community hospital. Uh, and if you don't have a very busy labor and delivery unit, you may be 80 to 85 percent of all admissions to the hospital come in through the ED. So one of your first points, Ryan, was about boarding hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, since 70 percent of what arrives upstairs comes through the ED, we are important in in working out the pathways to get them upstairs and not waiting in the emergency department for bed to come upstairs. So. Almost forcefully, we have to work with the nursing resources of the hospital, uh, whatever pathway management systems they're developing for good use of inpatient beds. Um, really on a, the, the most efficient hospitals on Sunday night know what their census is, know what the plan is for the coming week in terms of this: the OR schedules, the cath lab schedules, the important clinic schedules, other things that reliably result in the need for inpatients. They should know what the past week has looked like in the emergency department, the average number of admissions per day, and they should plot out for the week ahead what admissions and inpatient bed status looks like, and which units they're going to have to open up, and which units they can, they can flex a little more of their inpatient staff. But that shouldn't be a decision on Tuesday night mm-hmm. or Wednesday morning. All of a sudden, we're in a bed crisis. We'll hold all those patients in the emergency department. That, that's not fair planning for anybody, especially the patients that, that need the care upstairs. So we have to get into this role of helping the hospital, move inpatients very quickly out of the emergency department once a decision to admit has been made, work with our medical staffs, and understand that if the ED is, is uh, boarding patients, uh, that means the ORs are gonna shut down for elective cases, or the cath labs are gonna shut down for elective cases, the the entire process has to be built with the same level of efficiency that we consider important in the emergency department. So 70% of inpatients come in through the ED, really important for everybody to understand how that number impacts them at home. And the entire process for the hospital has to be built just as efficient as the ED.
0: And unfortunately, uh, so many hospitals still put the emergency department admission as not the primary priority. You know, when you're growing market share, trying to Accept patients from outside facilities, meaning that your patient's going to wait a little bit longer in the ED because that bed's going to come to somebody who was flown in or transferred in. Uh, you talked about the surgery and cath lab schedules, all of those priority beds versus your emergency department patients. And that is something that has to change. That, that and I've always, it's always blown my mind, you know, pretty consistently. We're just even talking about this last week um, with July 4th. I mentioned 100 versus 169 versus the next day, which was uh, more about average, if you really averaged it out, it was still the whole week averaged out to our typical average volume from from 2019. And so there wasn't any huge, it was just the days fluctuated a little bit in terms of when that volume came and when that came in. Is planning and understanding time of year, um, when are we likely going to get call-ins from staff, being summer months when there's a lot of vacation, holiday months in the fall, looking at times when a lot of people... Flu season, when you have a lot of people getting uh, getting infections, understanding that those variables uh, of staffed beds versus actual physical beds available and how that impacts. I mean, one of my big things, first time when we come in uh, with boarding or we're told we're going to have boarding, is that first question, is this a physical bed issue or a staffing issue? Because it's very different in terms of how hard I'm going to push in terms of figuring out a solution. I mean, it's a staffing issue. It's lighting folks up and say. Find staff, call people in, offer something to get folks in here to get these bed staff versus physical bed status. To say now we need to work with the hospitalist and patient physicians on efficiency of disposition and getting patients out. So if I'm going to discharge somebody today, discharging them as soon as possible instead of waiting till five o'clock in the afternoon to discharge them, and then having uh, environmental services having to you know do to clean 50 beds after five o'clock in order to make rooms for the ER patients. So. Figuring out that efficiency process. And, and emergency physicians have to be key players in those communications and working with administration and understanding how those decisions and how the status outside the emergency department so impacts inside the emergency department. And we've seen the research is there that boarding patients have overall poorer outcomes, longer lengths of stays. The longer they're in the emergency department, not because our folks don't do great work, but just that's not our primary design, and what we are is not um, long-term, the longitudinal care of the inpatient, uh, uh, the inpatient uh, in our hospitals. So, you know, those are things you have to be active with as a as a physician, as also as well as our APP uh, leadership is figuring is being active leaders within your hospital to help everybody understand. Um, how these things impact the flow um, and environment of the emergency department, um, and not just not just the emergency department, but also uh, our patients and then the healthcare care system as a whole.
1: yes. and and what you said, Ryan, is exactly right. This is a planning issue. it's it's not a crisis management. Um, your hospital has been through a hundred years of July fourth holidays and and Christmas and new year's and and other holidays, and they they know about staff call-outs around mm-hmm. holiday times and in the summer. Uh, but again, if, if we look a month ahead or a week ahead and begin to plan and have a group of dedicated staff who, who are flexed and ready to come in because we know on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday or our max census days uh, in the inpatient arena, we should know what ours is in the emergency department all the time anyway. Um, that, that makes it a lot easier than on Wednesday night trying to staff up an inpatient unit uh, with people who are calling from home from home and, and are unprepared. That that's a planning job. And why we're talking about data today, Ryan, is is so that emergency physicians and emergency department leaders, for 30 years we've been told our volume's going down. And for 30 years the community said we want to go to the emergency department. We like and trust the care there and you're the entrance to the healthcare system and to the inpatient units we need to plan ahead for that. What's the next 30 years look like in emergency care? What's our volume going to be? What's our admission volume going to be? Building partnerships to, to, to great outpatient care is wonderful, but some people simply get sick enough and they get old enough to need inpatient resources. What are we going to do to plan for that? And, and that's one of the very important parts of being an emergency physician and an emergency leader at this time.
0: Well, if you look at the American culture, the expectation, um, our you know, the expectation in the United States is I want something, and my expectation is that I want it now. I mean, even to the point that with Amazon, you know, the day that day of one day shipping, it shows up later that day. Or our food, where we have so much food that's now accessible twenty four seven, or data and information. So the expectation that healthcare is going to be any different, that they're going to be okay. I will seek the healthcare system, 830 to 430, Monday through Friday. You know, people want access, and they want to have that access um, when they need it, as opposed to uh, just letting something simmer for a long five-day holiday, uh, holiday weekend. Uh, how can folks get in touch with you if they have any more uh, questions uh, or uh, comments on, on the topic?
1: I'm available at uh, jaugustine at asap.org. As a member of the College Board of Directors, and I welcome any questions about the, the data that drives us into the future of emergency care.
0: As for me, you can contact me, youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com, youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com, at everydaymed on Twitter, and uh, ASAP uh, Frontline is available on uh, Facebook. Uh, I mentioned uh, Twitter at, at everydaymed, as well as uh, you can uh, subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. And until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASAP Frontline.